want to invite you to uh, take your Bibles and let's open them up together to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to continue our series, uh, Are You Committed? Last week we considered the question, Are You Committed to Christ? Today we're going to consider the question, Are You Committed to Prayer? Prayer is one of the greatest privileges that has been extended unto us. You ever truly wonder what would happen if God's people understood the significance of prayer and faithfully practiced the discipline of prayer? God's Word gives us a mandate that we are to be a people of prayer and that we should be praying all the time. We see that in 1 Thessalonians. You have your Bibles to 1 Timothy. On the screen behind me, you'll see 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what is God's will? That we should rejoice, that we should be prayerful, always in prayer, and that we should give thanks in all circumstances that we face. God commands us to pray without ceasing because He delights in our fellowship. The greatest example that we can find in the Scriptures of someone who has embraced and practiced the discipline of prayer, I believe, is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to share some references that kind of depict just how faithful, just how disciplined our Lord was in His prayer life. Jesus would take the time not just to pray for himself, but he would pray for other people. In John chapter 17, verse number 9, we read that Jesus said, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So so Jesus is praying for believers. Jesus would pray uh, by himself. It didn't matter. Like If he was all alone in Luke chapter 5, Verse number 16, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I'm going to come back to that verse in a moment, but we see that he was in a lonely place. He was in isolation by himself, and he went to the Father in prayer. But not only would he pray alone, he would pray with others as well. Luke chapter 9, verse number 28 says that Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up on a mountain to pray. So he prayed by himself. He prayed with others. He prayed for others. Jesus prayed wherever he was at. A lot of times he found himself out in nature. So Jesus prayed in nature. In Luke chapter 6, verse number 12, it says, uh, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. I mean, he could have went home. He could have went to a synagogue. I suppose if he was close enough to Jerusalem, uh, he could have went to the temple to pray. But, but Jesus took the time where he was at and spent that time in prayer. And I think we would do well uh, to, to be prayerful in nature. I think sometimes we get so distracted with all that is around us that has been man-made that we kind of have ceased to forgotten that this is not our world. It belongs to him. It's his creation. And we live in the greatest state that one can live in in America. Amen. Not only do we live in the great state of Texas, we live in the hill country. Man, it's beautiful out here. 
and just like take a drive. Maybe not today. But take a drive. See the beauty of God's creation. Pray out in nature. You don't have to just pray at church. You can pray where you're at. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. Sometimes Jesus' prayer were short, and sometimes they were long. I'm not going to read to you the short prayer, but he gives us the prayer in Matthew chapter 6 that is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's full of wisdom and insight. It serves to us as an example of a sprint prayer rather than a marathon prayer. But Jesus not only prayed those short prayers, Jesus prayed the long ones too. We read earlier in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 continues to say that he spent the night praying to God. Spent all night in prayer with the Father. I wonder how many of us have spent hours and hours in dedicated prayer with God. And so we need to pray short prayers, absolutely. But we also need to learn to dedicate long periods of time uh, with our Father in prayer. Jesus prayed short prayers. He prayed long prayers. He prayed in nature. He prayed by himself. He prayed with others and for others. Uh, Jesus prayed regularly. Back to the passage in Luke chapter 5, verse number 16. Again, it says, Jesus often withdrew uh, to a lonely places and prayed. That word often is not hidden. But it makes it obvious that Jesus prayed regularly. It was a habit of his. And one of the greatest lessons that we can see in the life of our Lord in respect to prayer is that Jesus prayed knowing who was in charge. He knew that his Father was in charge, not him. And Jesus knew this hard lesson as he cried out to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 44. Three times Jesus prayed, asking God, to allow a different path for him. But ultimately, in all of those prayers, his prayer was, not mine, but your will be done, Father. In this prayer, Jesus gives us tremendous insight into the fact and to the reality that God is the one who's in charge. And all of this makes me wonder, why is it? So many of us spend so little time before the throne of God. Even for those that are somewhat constant in their prayer life, why is it that so often their prayers are self-focused prayers? Prayers just for them, for their family, for those whom they love. And why is it that their prayers don't seem to go beyond, to others, to all people, all places, everywhere. i never forget some 10 years ago or so that there was a, a widespread phenomenon that was happening in the churches through a particular Bible study. And it'll be familiar to you. Maybe you went through it. Maybe you were encouraged and strengthened by it. I hope that you were if you did. But I really never bought into it. Uh, and what I'm talking about is uh, the prayer of Jabez. Big movement in, in, into the, the culture of the church. And the prayer of Jabez, for me, the reason why it concerned me, the way that it was marketed, 
is that it seemed to try to buy into people's uh, American dream mentality. You can have what you want when you want it if you just work hard enough or if you just pray hard enough. The prayer of Jabez is a beautiful prayer that we find in Scripture. And this is what we know. We, there are like two verses that are given to, to Jabez. And, and it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse number 10, that's, the, that's what the book, that's what the study was developed from. In 1 Chronicles 4.10 it says, Jabez cried out uh, to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. There's nothing wrong with that prayer because what we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse number 9, is that Jabez was a righteous man. And so being a righteous man, he knew the right way to pray and what God would do and how God would answer and how God would respond. My problem and my concern was that this widespread phenomenon was trying to tell people, if you'll just do the prayer without focusing on the need to be righteous in the first place. The prayer of Jabez was also popular. How many of you ever sat through the, the prayer of Agor? done that Bible study. Anybody? You're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Prayer of Agor is found in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough satisfy my needs for if i grow rich i may deny you and say who's the lord and if i am too poor i may steal and thus insult god's holy name i'm ready for that bible study to spread two requests help me not to be a liar help me to be a man of integrity and help me to be satisfied with what you give me and to see it as a true blessing from you. Man, as you can tell, it is really difficult to kind of pick one text from the scripture to challenge us in our prayer lives. So all that to say, we're not going to look at any of those verses in, in, in detail. I want you to look at what your Bible has to say in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the first eight verses, and in these eight verses, we can kind of break them down into six different sections, and that's what we'll attempt to do this morning. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, and that man, the man Christ Jesus, uh, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let's look at six sections uh, uh, to, to these eight verses. 
It starts off when we see the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. It's found right there at the beginning of verse number 1. It says, first of all, then, I urge you. First of all stresses just how important prayer is. In other words, above everything else, before you do anything else, pray. Prayer should be our first choice, not our last resort. It ought to be the very first thing that we do. And it's sad to me to see how prayer has, has lost its importance in the church. Sometimes we spend more time talking about what needs to be prayed for than we actually do praying about what it was that we just talked about. Um, you watch it on YouTube, listen to it again, it'll make sense to you the next time. I'm telling you, it's there. Why is it that we can gather together on a Sunday morning, and some of you are not going to like this, and I'm okay with it. Why is it that we can gather together on a Sunday morning, some 250 of us can fill in this place, right? But then we have a special time of prayer. We, we have a, a time of prayer and Bible study on, on Wednesday night. And we go from 250 to 5. What's wrong with us? Yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have responsibilities. I understand that. I get that. And if you're not able to be here because of that, uh, fine. But why are we just sitting at home instead of coming together as the body of Christ and saying, let's pray together. Let's join together our prayers for one another. First of all, he says, I urge. It's like I beg you. May prayer have a priority in this place. May prayer take preeminence in our lives and in this church. So we see the priority of prayer from the beginning. We go from the priority of prayer to the variety of prayer as verse 1 continues. So it says, first of all then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And it starts off with the word supplications. Supplications is another way of saying request. Or petition. It means to ask with urgency based upon a, a presumed need. And so when we see the special needs of other people in their lives, then we are urged to take those petitions before the throne of God and to plead on their behalf with a sense of urgency. I mean, just think about what this world, our community, what this church would look like if we took the names and the needs of other people before the throne of God and we pleaded with Him with great urgency of heart and spirit. And so we start with the supplications and then He, then he uh, mentions prayers. And prayers is just a more general word for prayer. It's a special time set aside to pray. Like for us as a church, we, we set a special time on, on Wednesday evenings to gather together to pray. Maybe you in your own life, hopefully you in your own life, you have a special time that you set aside to pray, to spend time with the Father in prayer and in devotion, the time to reflect and, and, and to consider what God is calling us to do. So we see the supplications, we see prayers, and then he uses the word intercession. Intercession comes from a Greek verb that means to speak, um, 
to someone on behalf of another. In other words, to intercede on behalf of somebody. Intercessory prayer is praying to God on behalf of another person. And more than likely, most often, that intercessory prayer is really rooted in praying on behalf of a non-believer in Christ. Praying for the Holy Spirit to soften, to lead, to give them the faith that's required for them to make a profession of faith in, in Christ. So we have supplications, we have prayers, we, we see intercession, and then we have thanksgiving. We're to thank God for hearing and answering our prayers. We're to thank Him for what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's promised to do. We're to thank Him for who He is. Paul is not trying to make these terms exclusive one to another. Rather, he's trying to encourage and urge the Christian community to offer up prayers of all kinds for all people. So we see the priority of prayer, the variety of prayer. We'll transition and see the objects of prayer. Back to verse 1, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So that word, oh, that phrase, all people, makes it clear that no person is outside the influence of prayer. That's important to know. Nobody's out on the outside of the influence of prayer. That means that we ought to be praying for believers and non-believers. We're to be praying for the people that are near to us and for the people that are far from us. Yes, we're to pray for our friends and our families, but yes, we're to pray for our enemies and our adversaries as well. And I'm not saying that the, the, when you're praying for your enemies, I don't mean we pray, God, get them. It's not the prayer that I'm speaking about. It's God, help them. Show them. Draw them unto you so that we can celebrate their salvation if they'll make a confession in you. So, so pray for our enemies, but pray the right kind of prayers for your enemies. But Paul also urges the church to pray for those that are in authority. I'll be careful here, but, but know that when he wrote this, he wrote it at a time when the godless emperor Nero was at the throne. And he's urging believers to pray for him. Even if or, or when you don't respect the, the man or the woman who's in a position of authority over you or our nation, we're to respect the office that they hold and the command that the Father gives to us that we are to pray for them consistently, faithfully, heartfelt-like prayers. And so, all people is the key in this paragraph. In fact, you see it in verse number 1, and you see it in verse number 4. Let me just say it this way. We're to pray for all people because Christ died for all people. And it's God's will that all people would come to know Him. So let's just pray for everybody. And so we have the priority of prayer. 
the variety of prayer, the objects of prayer. In verses 3 and 4, we're going to see the reason for prayer. Verse 3 says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That Greek word for good emphasizes something as being intrinsically good, not just good in its effects. Another way to say it is that uh, uh, words can be used as maybe beautiful or fair. So, yes, prayer is a, a good practice, but even greater, prayer has uh, some, some beautiful benefits to it. Because prayer is pleasing to the Lord. It pleases His Father when the children come to Him in prayer. You remember the Pharisees? The Pharisees prayed loud, long, open prayers so that they could be praised by people. Right, But committed Christians, we're to pray in order not to please one another, but we pray in order to please the Father. And let me be clear, it certainly doesn't please the Father when our prayers are self-focused. Here's a text to consider. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13-15. through 15. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Here, here's where we get our confidence. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, uh, we have what we asked of Him. That's beautiful. That's the confidence that we can have. We know that He will hear us and we will receive what it is that we've asked when we pray in accordance to the will of God. It has often been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will accomplished in heaven, but it's to get God's will accomplished here on earth. Praying to the will of the Father for the glory of God. So we have the priority of prayer, the variety of prayer, the objects of prayer, the reasons of prayer. Let me share with you the basis for prayer in verses 5 through 7. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I want you to understand that prayer is based upon the work of Jesus as Savior and Mediator. Since there is only one God, there is need for only one Mediator. I'm going to be as clear as I possibly can. The Scripture tells us that that Mediator is Jesus Christ. No other person qualifies to intercede on behalf of us and the Heavenly Father. You get that? One mediator. One person. Only one person qualifies to have the right to intercede on our behalf and the Father. Do you understand what I'm not saying? No, you don't. Let me help you. Praying to a saint ain't going to get you anywhere. 
That's not what the scripture teaches us. Not the the head of the church, whoever that is, or, or a person who's dead. They can't intercede on behalf of you. Only Jesus Christ can. He is the one and only mediator. He's the one and only mediator between God and us. That's it. No other way. So we have the basis for prayer is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. And then we wrap it up with the attitude of prayer. The attitude of prayer. Verse number 8 says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So it was customary to pray with arms extended, hands opened up to heaven. In fact, there were many postures of prayer found in Scripture. And this just so happens to be one of them. Let me share with you a few others real fast, right? In 1 Kings chapter 8, we see that one posture is standing with outstretched hands like we have in our text this morning. 1 Kings 8 verse 22 says that Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands towards heaven. But sometimes people don't pray standing with arms outstretched. Sometimes people pray kneeling. Daniel chapter 6 verse number 10 says that he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Sometimes it's standing, sometimes it's kneeling, sometimes it's even sitting. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse number 18 says that then King David went in and he sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Sometimes the posture is bowing the head. Genesis chapter 24, verse number 26 says, Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Sometimes it's not bowing the head, sometimes it's lifting the eyes. John chapter 17, verse number 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And sometimes people will just fall face down on the ground. Genesis chapter 17, verse number 3 says, Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, I want you to understand that the important thing is not the posture of your body when you pray. The important thing is the posture of your heart. That's what matters. And often, the position we take with our body is a reflection of the position that's happening within the heart. And so Paul, in our, in our text from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, he gives us two essential elements to effective prayer. These last two things, and then I'm done. In order for us to have that proper heart, uh, we need to have a right relationship with God. He says lifting holy hands. It's not just in raising of hands, but it was the raising of holy hands. Which means that if you have unresolved sin in your life, then you need to identify and address that sin because your sin-soaked prayer, that, I mean, that, that, that you, you're stained. You need cleansing. You need forgiveness. You need the washing of the Spirit over you. And so he says that we have to have a right relationship with God, that we lift holy hands, not just any hands. And then it says that we must have a right relationship with other people. 
So a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Right relationship with God, lifting of holy hands. Right relationship with others means that we are without our anger or quarreling. So a person who's a troublemaker rather than a peacemaker cannot expect to pray and receive consistent answers from God. Got to be at peace with one another. Stop arguing. Stop fighting. Stop being angry with one another. Paul also writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 14, to do all things without uh, grumbling and complaining. So effective prayer demands that I be in a right relationship with God and I be in a right relationship with one another. Oh, church, can you imagine what would happen if we truly focused on developing that right relationship with God and the right relationship with one another? And then we began to faithfully practice the discipline of prayer. Taking the petitions of one another before the Father. Being consistent in our own personal prayer life and corporate prayer gatherings. Interceding on behalf of those that are lost and separated from God. Praying with urgency and due diligence that the will of God would be manifested here among us. Are you committed to prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church, for this time, for your word. God, thank you for the great privilege that we have to enter into your presence. And God, may we be faithful in our prayers. Help us to pray for ourselves, absolutely, that we're faithful and obedient to your word, that we pursue your will for our lives, and we'll pray for our loved ones, and we'll pray for our friends, our neighbors, we'll pray for our enemies and adversaries, we'll pray for all people. There's no one is outside of the influence of prayer. We understand that now. So soften our hearts and enlarge our prayers. And be glorified in what we do. In this time of invitation, Father, I pray that your spirit would make known to each and every one of us a decision that we can make right here, right now, that would bring the ultimate glory and praise unto you. Some people need to make the decision of faith. Put their lives and their trust and their, their heart in Jesus Christ. For your children, we need to make a, a, a decision of, of repentance that we can walk in faithful obedience to your word. So we need to confess the sin that's prevalent in our lives and we need to turn from that and turn to you. Whether it's a decision for church membership or baptism or special prayers, whatever needs to happen right now, oh, make it happen, God. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.